We are going to continue our worship this morning, giving attention to God's Word. And that, that is what the Bible is. It is God speaking through what He has spoken. And so we get to receive from Him today. And as you find your seat, if you would, turn in your Bible to Genesis 45. Genesis is the first book in the Bible Genesis 45, and we're picking up today in a series that we've entitled, Not Alone. And this series, this God, you know, early on in Genesis, it's about the creation of the world and God's early workings with mankind. And in chapter 11 and 12, we see his dealings with a people. He starts with Abraham, and then Abraham's son, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then now we've been looking at the last number of weeks uh, with Joseph. Well, in chapter 45, the focus goes back to Jacob and God's dealings with this man. And so I'm looking forward to what God has for us this morning in this passage. Well, if you consider just history... Or you consider kind of personal memories, much of what sticks with us as people are those moments of dramatic reversal. So I have in mind things that look like they're going one way, and then boom, something happens, and the outcome is totally different than what it looked like. So I remember watching the Super Bowl with the Patriots and the Falcons. And the Patriots are down. They had three points. Falcons had 28. And they came back and won it. I don't remember every Super Bowl. I remember that one because of the dramatic reversal. I also remember uh, when Chris and I were first married, we owned a house. And this house just had problem after problem after problem. And we were, you know, thinking, is there any way to get out of this situation? And somebody said, well, you should pray. That God would give you another house. And we're like, no, you don't understand. We are as stuck as stuck gets. And then that week, somebody comes and says, hey, do you want to rent from us? And it was reasonable and we could do it. And I was like, that wasn't even on my radar as possible. And yet, it was possible. You know, I think about uh, many holidays. Holidays tend to commemorate a dramatic reversal. Like Christmas. God coming into our world. Easter, the reversal of Jesus' death and overcoming death with his resurrection. Thanksgiving, pilgrims are about to die. The winter's really cold. The food's gone. And this great reversal that happens. Well, Genesis chapter 45 is a dramatic reversal for Jacob. He thought that his son, Joseph, was dead. He thought that when he sent Benjamin, his other son, that he might never see him again. And then, boom, God reveals in a moment to Jacob what he's been doing behind the scenes all along. But to Jacob, it is a dramatic reversal. And so today we pick up in this story, we pick up at the moment where uh, 
Joseph has just made known his identity to his brothers. And so we're going to consider a number of chapters this morning. We're going to consider from chapter 45, verse 16, all the way almost to the end of chapter 47. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but if you have your Bible open, I'm going to read selections from this passage. Genesis 45, and let's begin in verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them possessions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hands, Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. And so, the rest of that passage goes on of how they journeyed. And he gives the names of Jacob's descendants. Look at verse 28. He, that is Jacob, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in the land of Goshen. 
He presented him to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Then Joseph gives instructions about how they're to answer Pharaoh. And then in chapter 47, verse 7, Jacob appears before Pharaoh. Look with me. It says, then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Let's pray. Ask for God's help this morning. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. You lead us to green pastures. This morning, Lord, you're, you're feeding us and you want to feed us from your word. And I pray you would help us to receive it as such, Lord, that this is how you lead us. This is how you feed us. This is how you nurture and mature us, Lord, by giving us what you have said and us in in taking it in, receiving it, believing it, basing our lives upon it. Lord, it's a story. We need your help this morning. And I pray, Lord, that our confidence in you would rise. And we just thank you that you are the God of dramatic reversals. And so, Lord, particularly today as we come before you, Lord, we we need your help. Uh, We need to see you. We need an eternal perspective imparted, Lord. We, we need to see the heinousness of sin. We need to see the glories of Christ. And so I pray you would lead us. Lord, for any here who don't yet know you as their shepherd, I pray that today would be the day. We praise you. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as shocking as it was for the brothers to realize that Joseph was alive in Egypt, Jacob is about to get the ultimate shock. When his sons arrive home, it is a dramatic reversal. A dramatic reversal. Look at chapter 45, verse 26 again. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. So Jacob had been waiting. It was difficult for him to send Benjamin, his youngest son, with the brothers to Egypt. It was difficult because Benjamin was his idol. 
He had to have his hands kind of pried off of Benjamin. But in so doing, he's thinking, I don't know if I'll ever see him again. And so the whole time that the brothers were away in Egypt, that was a painful test. You have to realize, this is, this is before texting. He's not getting text messages every 10 minutes updating. I'm okay, we got here. All right, we're on our way back now. There's no find a friend app. This is anywhere between several weeks and a couple of months that he is waiting. And so one hour before the wagons come rolling in to Canaan, here were the possibilities. The possibilities are Benjamin may have died. We may all die on account of this famine. But that moment, When his boys come home and announce in verse 26, he finds out Benjamin is safe. He finds out we have plenty of food and provision. We're not going to die from this famine, at least not now. But then he realizes Joseph is alive. And he is second in command in Egypt. I mean, talk about a dramatic reversal. And so what's the point of us seeing this and this being preserved for us in Holy Scripture? The point is, nothing is impossible with God. That's one of the key takeaways. God did over and above what Jacob even thought was possible. I mean, Jacob would have asked for this if he thought it could be done. You know, we're here this morning and we're reading this and we get the kind of 50,000 foot view of what was going on in Jacob's life. We knew that the whole time Joseph's alive in Egypt. We knew that God was working to this end, but Jacob didn't have that view of his own life. He had no idea. He's living at at the level of life. And you know what? When you think of our own lives, we don't get the 50,000 foot view of our own lives either. Every person who's living is living in the moment based on what's happened in the past, but has no idea. What, What is God actually up to here? And so what we have in this story, we get the 50,000 foot view, but what we have is we have God's character, God's promises. God's power displayed for us in page after page in this book so that we would know there is nothing impossible with God. He's able to do so much more. And so as dramatic as this moment was for Jacob, this is not the most dramatic reversal in the Bible. No, the most dramatic reversal in the Bible culminates with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, who who would have thought that it was possible for God to take on human form, to come as a man? Who even thought that that was possible? Who thought it was possible that he would be the king of kings and yet humble himself to the point of death, to give up his life? And who would have thought it was possible that after crucifixion, he could be resurrected from the dead, never to die again? 
I mean, who thought that these things were possible? Who thought it was possible that the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, could come dwell in a person? Like, we would have asked for these things if we thought it was possible. But this is what God does, and he orchestrates a dramatic reversal. Ephesians chapter 3 ends with these famous words. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So he's able to do not just more than we ask, That verse says he's able to do more than we think is even possible. You and I are not too young or too old to learn this lesson. Jacob at this time in Genesis 45 through 47, he's 130 years young. And yet God is still teaching him, still showing him that nothing, no person, no situation, no crisis, no disease, no sin is a match for God. And so we have a dramatic reversal. And Jacob is stunned. He makes his way to Egypt and on his way he receives divine reassurance. Divine reassurance. Look at chapter 46 Verse 1 again. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now what may not be apparent here is that as Jacob is leaving and he has this stop in Beersheba. This is one of the southernmost cities in the promised land. Jacob is about to leave the promised land. He is leaving the land that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to himself. Now, he had left this land before when he went and sought a wife, or in his case, wives. In Genesis 28, at that time, as he was leaving to the north to go to the land of Haran, God appeared to him in a dream. This is the the famous ladder dream that we looked at in Genesis 28, where God promised that he would bring Jacob back. The Lord had said in Genesis 28, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, 
And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So these words were given to Jacob the very first time he set foot out of the promised land. And now, this is his second time he's about to leave the promised land. And here at Beersheba, God gives him this divine reassurance of what he's up to, of what he's doing, of the protections. Look, He gives Jacob four reasons why he doesn't need to fear. Look at verse 3. He says, I will make you into a great nation. So the people of Israel, they they numbered about 70. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, not by multiplying in the promised land, but by multiplying in Egypt, outside of the promised land. And for Jacob, for all, all the patriarchs, and even for the Israelites, they had a hard time imagining God's blessing anywhere outside of the promised land. And yet that's what God's saying. No, there I'm going to bless you. There I'm going to multiply you in Egypt. And then he says in verse 4, the second promise, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I'm going with you. What a promise. One commentator says, God's presence knows no territorial constraints. That is good news. You know, this would have been an encouragement not only for Jacob. This would have been an encouragement for Israel that had come out of Egypt. They were the ones who received the book of Genesis the very first time. And they're they're wandering around. And to know that God's presence, he, He's with them wherever they go, that is such a reassurance for them. And you think about that for us now, church. This is a promise. Jesus said in His great commission to His disciples, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our great comfort that He knows how to lead His people to and through precarious situations. So if you find yourself somewhere or in some situation, he knows how to be with you and to lead you through that. And so we can take comfort today. We can be emboldened today. The third promise he gives Jacob is, I will also bring you up again. I will also bring you up again. So Egypt is not a permanent place Even if Jacob dies in Egypt, which he does. So this is a promise that God makes that extends beyond Jacob's life. And that's a category and needs to be a category for us. God doesn't need to fulfill all of his promises in our lives in order to be a promise-keeping God. He seems to take the long view. And he's no less faithful by doing that. And then the fourth promise, Jacob, uh, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So even though Jacob had made an idol out of Joseph, 
and an idol out of Rachel's children. God's been at work in him, and he affords him this kindness. So what a wonderful reassurance. God is reassuring this 130-year-old man that even at the age of 130, there are still promises that are waiting to be fulfilled that God very much plans to carry out. And so Jacob then leaves. He goes through from Beersheba. He comes to Egypt. He sees Joseph. It's been 20 years. It says they fell. He fell on his neck and they kissed. And they fell on his neck for a good while, is what the text says. And then he's presented to Pharaoh. And there's this interesting shift given what we've just seen. Jacob shares what I call a defining remark. A defining remark. Look at chapter 47, verse 7 again. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the, oh, I'm sorry, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So Jacob blesses him, recounts his life, and then blesses him a second time. And this blessing, uh, this was a bold move from a nomadic guy who is from some no-name tribe, blessing the highest power on earth at this time. It's a bold move. I mean, have you ever heard of Bristow, Nebraska? Probably not, because there's only 70 people in Bristow, Nebraska, similar to the house of Jacob. 70 people. They're nobody. And if you could just imagine, I don't know if Bristow, Nebraska, has a mayor, but if you can imagine the mayor blessing the president of the United States, it's like, well, blessing is usually comes the other way, from the higher, from the greater to the lesser. But Jacob is coming into this awareness of, yes, I'm standing before the most powerful man in the world at this time. But God had promised through him all the nations would be blessed. And he's right. He's right to bless him because if God had not raised up Joseph, that very same famine that is threatening the world would be threatening Egypt. If God hadn't brought and preserved and gifted Joseph. So Egypt is already being blessed through the lineage of this man. But then Pharaoh asked Jacob this simple question. So, tell me, how old are you? And Jacob responds with this defining remark. He says in verse 9, The days of the years of my life, of my sojourning, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Few and evil. 
Now compared with Abraham and Isaac, who lived 175 and 180, okay, he hasn't lived as long as them yet. But 130 years, that's not a few years. That's a lot of years and so few. That, that's an interesting summary. But then the more interesting or revealing one is evil. You know, sometimes people ask us, hey, how you doing? We often, you may have done this even today when you were greeting each other in church, we often respond with a one-word answer. Great, fine, or maybe a phrase. Yes, I'm doing well, thank you. And if you're not doing well, you might say, ah, I've had better days, I've had better weeks, or I'm not doing well, or I'm struggling, or whatever. Jacob is not just summing up his week. He's summing up his life. And his one-word description is evil. My days, my life, evil. And now we know from the book of Genesis, this is one of the the privileges we have. We've been looking at Jacob for a long time. He spans more chapters in the book of Genesis than any other character. We've seen that his brother Esau was out to kill him. We've seen his father-in-law when he tricked him into marrying a second extra wife and then changed his wages many times. We saw that his wife Rachel died while giving birth. His sons got rid of their brother Joseph and have kept up a 20-year lie that just got revealed. He and his family have spent the last number of years on the verge of death because of a famine. So yeah, you could say it's been a pretty hard life for Jacob. But we also know from the book of Genesis that much of that evil he brought on himself. Remember, his name means he cheats. That's what the name Jacob means. He cheats or he takes by the heel. The reason his brother wanted to kill him was because he cheated him out of his birthright and blessing. Yes, his his sons gave up their brother to slavery and kept up a 20-year lie, but he played favorites with all of his kids. And yes, it came back to bite him. And so, yes, it's been a hard life for Jacob, but he seems more aware of the evil against him than the evil that he did. And by calling his days few and evil, he also seems unaware, unaware of how abundantly blessed he has been by God. Like, how many people is God appearing to at this time? Not many. God's appeared to him. God's spoken to him. God's made promises to him. God has multiplied him and kept his promises thus far. And in so doing, he is doing far better than he deserves. But with this defining remark, My days, few and evil, it's though he's blind not only to his contribution, but blind to God's blessing. 
One commentator, Ian Duguid, he writes, Jacob's statement shows us someone so turned in on himself by a life-shattering event that he had lost the ability to recognize anything else that God had given him. God had intervened in Jacob's situation and dramatically turned it around. And yet it seemed that Jacob was still determined to define his life by his pain rather than by God's redemption of that pain. He had been deeply and painfully sinned against and that had become the defining story of his life. So he had defined his life according to his pain. And perhaps here this morning, there are some. And we find ourselves having to define our lives. What am I going to define it by? What are you defining your life by? Let me ask you, is it pain? Or is it God's redemption of that pain? Is it sin, either sin against you or sin you've committed? Is that what your life gets defined by or God's redemption of it? You see, honestly, I I don't like that Jacob's statement comes here after everything we've seen over chapter 45 and 46. I like to think Jacob sees this dramatic reversal, Joseph's alive, yay, he gets the promises from God, that divine reassurance, Morier comes in and he's like, I'm just a happy camper here in Egypt, I just, I'm just loving life right now, I'm living high on the hog, the famine no longer threatens me, my son I thought was dead is alive again, I could not be more overjoyed, you see I would like for the story to read that way. But this is real life and real faith and real how God is working in this man. He's been at work in this man for decades. You could even say over a hundred years he's been at work in this man. And he's still at work in this man. You see... Jacob, I often think, if my circumstances change, Lord, I'm going to be doing better. Jacob shows us that's not necessarily the case. His circumstances did a 180, and he's not doing better. I often think, well, if I could hear from God audibly, like if he talked to me, and I was like, Aaron, Aaron, and I said, here I am. Well, that's what happened to Jacob, and it didn't make the difference. You see, Jacob needs more than just a dramatic reversal in his circumstance. He needs more than just divine reassurance. What he needs is God's continued work in his heart. And church, that's what we need. More than a change in our circumstances. And this is a recurring lesson in the Old Testament. It's why our Bible divides between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the Old Testament we see, here's all these things outside of people that God is doing. And we realize at the end of the Old Testament, and the prophets tell us, things from the outside don't change a person. They need a new heart. They need God's spirit within them. 
He's got to take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Only then is there new regenerated life. Only then is there power from within. You see, we don't, we don't just need changes out there. Outside of us, church, we need changes in here. I mean, how many times in a marriage does a spouse try to change the other person? If I just say more, if I just correct more, if I just bring up more, I can fix this. We can't. Now, that doesn't mean we give up and we say nothing and we just throw our hands up. But the real, the real change is going to happen from the Spirit of God working in a person's heart. That is the dramatic reversal that we are waiting for. So salvation through Jesus Christ is a dramatic reversal. Ephesians 2 talks to us about it. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the direction all humanity is going. And now here comes the dramatic reversal. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we were talking children of wrath. Changed into children of God. This is is his work. He saves by grace. And this grace that saves us is the same grace that sanctifies us. And yet church, even with this dramatic reversal that we read of, and anyone who's become a Christian has gone through that dramatic reversal, we are still awaiting a dramatic reversal. A further one to come. All who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior will one day be glorified. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. This is the dramatic reversal that we are still awaiting. Glorification. If I can invite the worship team to return. Church, the Bible. The Bible is one dramatic reversal after another until Jesus. At Christmas we celebrate the world was going in one direction. And God intervened to save sinners. 
At Easter, we celebrate that while it looked like sin and Satan and death were going to win, that Jesus triumphed over them through his resurrection. Church, there's a lot going on in our world right now, just as there's been a lot going on throughout history, but we must never forget there is a dramatic reversal coming when Jesus returns. And it is the difference maker and the reason that we should have hope. So in the meantime, before he returns, God's people should take heart that he is at work. You're not too young, and you are, if you're less than 130 years old, you are not too old for God to continue his work. And one day we will be glorified. He will return, and we will be like him, and we will be with him. And so the Bible encourages us, set your hope accordingly. Do not define your life by your pain, by what you've done in sin, by the sins against you. Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Allow the redemption in Jesus to be the defining narrative of your life. And we await a dramatic reversal in his return. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as I, I prayed earlier, for any who currently don't know you, I pray that you would lead them to trust today in Jesus, to turn from their sins and rest in Jesus, and to know today by grace you have been saved. And Lord, for all of us who have Help us to glory in this dramatic reversal and help us to fix our hope on the return of Jesus when everything will be made new again. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.